You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, the end of the test series, the two test series that we've had this summer in the biosecure bubble. Ended, well, slightly waterily in a way, bad light and sort of the captains agreeing to uh, walk off. They, there was a bit of a, actually I thought it was going to be a touched elbows sort of scenario at the end, but actually it was a, a shake hands at the end with England Winning the series 1-0, failing to bowl Pakistan out today. 187 for four is what they finished on. And really, there were there were only two scenarios today. And one of them became uh, quite apparent early on. England were not going to have time to bowl Pakistan out. So really, the only focus after that was whether Jimmy Anderson would get his 600th wicket. And he obliged very early on to the great relief of everyone, including the slip catchers who dropped a few chances off him in previous days. And actually, Simon, it was it was quite a, 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 a snorter of a delivery that, that mm. got him his 600th wicket too. Yeah, and a, and a great wicket to get as well. Azhar Ali, the, the captain of Pakistan, who'd made 100 in the first innings. I mean, you, you take 600 wickets anyway, wouldn't you really? Number 11, but to get a top-class batsman out with that sort of delivery and a smart catch by Root uh, first slips. There was no you know, DRS involved. There was no LBW review. There was no you know, umpire's call on leg stump or the, you know, the top of the bales or anything like that. It was fair and square, outside edge, bit of bounce, nicked to Root at first slip and Root took the catch nicely. So, you know, it was, it was a nice scenario for James Anderson and a you know, totally memorable day for him. All that hard work, 33,745 balls, He's bowled in test cricket and he's now taken 600 test wickets. Nice feeling as he goes to bed tonight, I should think. Oh, and, and I wonder if he'll feel Fred Truman, I think, once <laughs> said when he got 307 and someone said to him, will anyone ever overtake you? And he went, well, if they do, they'll be bloody tired. Yeah. I, I should imagine that there will be a bit of fatigue in the, the Anderson legs 
tonight. But anyway, we're just going to look back at uh, the achievement in a bit. We're also going to hear from David Gower later, the former England captain, of course, uh, about where he thinks England are and where Joe Root's captaincy is after this summer of cricket in a slightly bizarre environment. But actually, we've seen some good cricket, and England have won both series, which is important, and they you feel like they have progressed somewhat. But we'll talk about that a, a bit later in the programme. But we, we should just reflect on the enormity of what Anderson has achieved. And actually, let's hear first from a sort of statistical level from Andrew Sampson, who has uh, compiled a, a couple of little facts about Anderson's achievement. He finally got a uh, bit of a weight, obviously, in the last couple of days, but 600 wickets, uh, first fast bowler and fourth bowler all, overall to get there. Uh, 156 tests. Matai and leader, and not surprisingly, the quickest to 600 with 101 tests. Jimmy Anderson, though, just six balls more to get to 600 test wickets in Matai Muralita only. 33711 Murali took, and he, Jimmy's taken 33,717. Uh, just one of those dropped catches had been taken earlier, he might have got there before in, in fewer balls than Murali. Uh, it's a total of 232 different batsmen he's dismissed out of the 600 test wickets. Uh, perhaps not surprisingly, the three spinners are ahead of him overall, also, are the ones who have got more different batsmen dismissed over their careers. Uh, of those 232, Peter Siddle's the one he's taken the most often 11 times, but uh, as well, his 600th, his 600th test wicket joins uh, Michael Clark, Sachin Tendulkar and David Warner on mine as the second most dismissed batsman by Jimmy Anderson in test cricket. Very good. Uh, that's, I mean, I suppose a slightly ignominious name, Peter Siddle, but yes. uh, the others are pretty good. Well, exactly, yeah. Um, some of the greats there, yeah. So it's a, bit, a pretty good record, isn't it? <laughs> And I, I think I've worked out that he's bowled more balls than any fast bowler in Test history. Would you back yeah, that up? I would back that up, yeah. He's obviously played 156 Test matches as well, which um, is 24 more than any other quick bowler. Uh, over 33,000 balls. I make it about 26,500 of those balls are dot balls as well. <laughs> God. <laughs> so not, not necessarily the most riveting watching, but obviously when he gets a wicket, it's... Uh, it's usually pretty dramatic. And actually, it was a good ball to get the, the final wicket as well, the 600th. Yeah, exactly. You do want the, the, the one that's going to be shown on, the, you know, forever, is <laughs> the 600th wicket to be a decent ball, don't you? Not, not a long hop slap to mid-off or something like that. Six balls more than Mataya Muralitharan took to get to 600 wickets, which is incredible, really. If you think Murali was, was such a freak, really, as a bowler, and, and had so much kind of uh, natural assets, you know, a lot of spin in Sri Lanka and his double-jointed wrist enabling him to, to make the ball go both ways. And so, you know, that is a measure of Anderson's achievement, really, that he's only taken six more balls than Murali. Yeah, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, you've got all that effort as well. Those extra paces to run in. Murali, you know, bowls off a, you know, a relatively short run. One interesting thing about Anderson, people have, have said to it about you know he only t well, you know he's he's great in England, not so good away. Three hundred and eighty-four of his Test wickets have come in England at twenty-three. 
216 wickets away at 32. I mean, that is still a pretty good achievement, actually, to take 216 test wickets away from home at, at 32. Clearly, he's the king of English conditions. And you know, he's got better and better. It seems more deadly in English conditions in the last few years. Whether that's had something to do with the fact that we play with the floodlights on a bit more now, I don't know. It probably need a bit more you know, statistical research and sort of in-depth look at, at what times of the day he's taken his wickets under what circumstances. Actually, I've got a graphic up uh, looking at his average after every 10 tests played. And uh, you know, it starts off after 20 tests. His average is 39. And then gradually comes down and sort of in the middle there between 60 and 90 tests, he's sort of averaging around 30. But from 100 onwards, it's 29, 28, uh, 10 tests between 110, 120, 28.24. And it's gradually come down. His average has got better and better, which implies that he's improving, obviously. You know, but uh, to pick up on your point, maybe it's also playing in conditions which are less favourable to the bat because of using floodlights and also possibly the advent of white ball cricket and less batsmen who are prepared maybe to use soft hands or old fashioned techniques to negotiate the kind of bowling that he produces. It's an interesting one. When, when I was in Australia last time, I, on the last day of the test match, Joe Root was was sick, obviously England's captain at the time. Jimmy Anderson was vice captain, so he came out to do the the post match interview. And I remember asking you know questions about the series, obviously, and, and about his own future. And I remember saying, you know, I, I definitely want to come back to Australia in four years' time. And I I was sort of really skeptical about that. I thought, well, hold on, Jimmy, you're going to be nearly forty when that happens. Surely, why would you want to come back again and you know be come up against Steve Smith and in in the form that he's in and and David Warner and whoever else Australia uh, come up with. And, and no, he was really, you know, absolutely emphatic. I want to come back. I don't want to leave it like this. I don't want to leave, you know, my last memory of Australia to be this, you know, 4-0 defeat and, and Steve Smith making it so difficult for us. And he was actually really sort of unhappy at that time about the, the sort of just the general view, the general acceptance that that will be it as far as uh, Jimmy Anderson and Australia is concerned. That, you know, there's no way he'll be back in four years' time. Yeah, yeah, it's all, you know, all players say that. But really, this is not going to happen. And yet, as we are sort of looking at it tonight, Australia is, what, 14, 15 months away? And, you know, Jimmy Anderson is still taking wickets. And you think, well, yeah, perhaps, you know, perhaps he will be back on England's uh, next tour of Australia. There's still quite a lot can happen between uh, now and then and quite a lot that can happen to the body. And then, you know, of course, you, you, you we do this podcast and then about two days later, he says, actually, no, that's it. I'm going to retire. But, you know, th- that will was there. That You know, the real sort of determination, not for that last experience in Australia, not to be the case, not to be the abiding memory. It, you know, it was, it was really strong. And he was actually quite sort of grumpy that people were suggesting that that's it as far as he's concerned and the ashes in Australia. Yeah, I mean, I listened to his uh, press conference after the game tonight. And one of the words he used when someone said, you know, is that it? You know, are you thinking of, about retirement and you know what's your view of the game these days and he said I still love it I absolutely mm. love it and, and you know the passion is undimmed he he must be a bit of a sadist because there's no doubt you know it puts your body through absolute agony bowling fast and especially when you're 38 but the passion is still there and also the drive to improve and I'm just going to play you a little clip of an interview I did with Jimmy a year or two ago 
looking at the evolution of his skills and what really comes through from him talking here is you know how he has this desperation this obsession with constantly trying to improve my whole career i've just tried to learn and um you know i found the first say five years pretty tough when you want to be learning the art of bowling but at the same time i had action problems i was working on it i had injury problems um, so that sort of takes away your focus from the skills that you want to learn, um, which I found pretty difficult. But then once I got over that, then you know I've been able to just give my full attention to the to the skills that I want to use, um, and I think that's. And then I've just learned um, also the sort of game management of when to use those sort of deliveries and, and um, on, on different sorts of surfaces as well, which has really helped. And, you know, if you look back on some, you, you get those, you know, replays sometimes of that World Cup uh, performance in 2003, which where you, you sort of really came to, to, to everyone's notice. Do you look back on that as almost a different bowler or can you see yourself in there still? Um, well, I actually saw that game not long ago on uh, replayed on the TV and um, it, it, I do look, I, I look back and think I'm a different bowler, yeah. Different action, different sort of load up. Um, quicker run up, probably. Probably slightly quicker run up, um, but the seam position is is pretty much the same, and that's something that I've been fortunate with ever since I learned how to swing the ball. Is I've always kept that seam position, and um, I think that stood me in good stead over, over the years, even through the difficult times with, with my action and things like that. I still managed to maintain that seam position. And where did that come from? That seam position was that was that something that you just had naturally, or did you did you copy somebody else? No, well, I, I when I grew up playing for Burnley, I was I just ran in with a trying to hold it straight, as straight as I possibly could, and then it wasn't until Mike Watkinson at Lancashire, sort of, when he was second team coach, and he taught me how to to swing the ball, and then, you know, since then, um, it it I won't say it came naturally, but it didn't take me too long to to um, get used to that and figure it out. Um, so yeah, it's it's something that I, I'm constantly working on it as well. It's still, still even, now, yeah, even in practice, just seeing if there's things I can do. Whether you know, just tilting it slightly one way or the other will make it swing more or less. Uh, and you know, in conditions where it's hooping round corners, you, you might want one to still look like an outswinger, but doesn't do as much. And they're the sorts of balls that you get the edge with. And so just trying to tinker around with things like that. It's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, you know, he's still desperate to improve and, and find ways of of taking wickets and and actually you know I, I mean I was you know a vastly inferior bowler to him but I tried to bowl the same kind of stuff as him and uh, I tried to make the ball swing away late and there is something really beautiful about it when you achieve it which which I did only on the odd occasion but when you actually run up and bowl the ball at 84 miles an hour and it curves away beautifully and sort of zips off the pitch and either whistles past the edge or, if you're lucky, takes out the off stump uh, and, and then soars. If, if you haven't uh, taken out the off stump or got the edge, it sort of soars through to the keeper and the keeper takes it shoulder high as the ball's still climbing. And the sensation of doing that yourself, that your body has generated that speed and, and that shape of delivery and that sort of venom is is it's actually really thrilling. It's I mean it's a, it's the only thing I can think of in comparison is is you know that incredible drive down the middle at golf. 
you know, 300 yards or 250 yards or whatever, and with just a little bit of draw into the middle of the fairway, and you, you sit there and stand there and you think, oh, God. Or, I suppose, you know, a bending-free kick, which goes into the top corner. It might be just you're mucking about in the park, and you just produce one kick, which sort of curves just exactly how you meant it to into the top corner. Well, bowling an outswinger at 80 miles an hour is is the same mm. sort of sensation. It's all done just with your body and you know all those bar rhythms all sort of connecting together to produce that output is is an incredible feeling. Yeah, imagine for a batsman the the, the equivalent is that that perfectly timed stroke. It might I think might be the pull shot when you it's so in, in your subconscious you're not thinking about it at all then suddenly you're onto it and it's flashing through square leg or you go for a big drive and you actually time it so well it goes sailing over the long off boundary for six uh, what what's it one of the interesting things about jimmy anderson i think we we did touch on this uh, last night when we were talking about him in his first test wicket mark vermeulen zimbabwe at, at lords uh, when he when he made his debut uh, you know when he was sort of in his early 20s was that actually did he sort of charged in he, he tried Tried to bowl really quickly in those days. He, he was sort of he tried to be a sort of genuine fast bowler, didn't, wasn't he? At the start of his career, mm. and now he's such a sort of he's a skillful, sort of fast medium bowler. He's still got that nip that, that keeps him actually in international cricket because I think without that nip, you, you know, your batsmen play. You know, they can they can play a bit easier, can't they? He's still got that nip, and we we saw it in this uh, in this test series. You know, if you, you've got to probably better bowl at 85, 86. You've got to be able to touch that to to keep batsmen honest. But so yeah, there's that huge transformation really in his, his in his career. And you know, he talked there about his injury, didn't he? You know, he, there was a time when they tried to change his action to mm. prevent injury, and it didn't work. And he had that really frustrating period in his career. And they said basically, I think he said in the end, I you know, I need to do it my way. And goodness me, he he has, isn't he? In the last you know decade, decade and more, you know, superlative bowler. Will you know when we sort of look back on his career, you, he he is actually great. It's a great fun to watch. It's 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 so skillful. Mm. It's it's tremendous fun to watch. Mm. Yeah, it it is, and and he's you know he's really finessed the art, which uh, he paid a little tribute there to to Mike Watkinson, the former. Lancashire player. He played a little bit for England in one-day internationals, actually, and was the second-team coach when Jimmy first came through. Uh, Winker, he's known as on the circuit. He's now a school teacher at Manchester Grammar, and uh, I, I thought I'd just catch up with him actually because what I was intrigued to know was what was the little skill that he taught Jimmy early on. Um, I wish I'd had it uh, undoubtedly because it would have helped me massively. But clearly, it's been something that that Jimmy's been able to go back to. Uh, all the time and, and it's his sort of stock in trade really and I just thought I'd talk to, to Watkinson about what it was that he taught him so so here he is well this goes back to when I was in charge of the length second team many moons ago uh, Jimmy was about 18 or 19 um, and he was um, a raw recruit out, out the leagues and under 19 cricket playing in our second 11 we had a game at Middleton um, I've no idea who the opposition was. Um, I think Jimmy had had a ball in the first innings. Um, he swung a few, threw a few down the leg side, didn't quite get it consistently right. And either the second or third morning, I think it's probably the third morning of the game, um, I just did a little bit of work with him about using the, the pads of his first and second finger to influence the swing on the ball. 
um, and we had a little bit of a session, only five, ten minutes max, uh, and it's something that just worked for him. Um, it clicked. We took, um, we took a new ball for the second innings in the afternoon session. He opened the ball in, and it just all worked for him. Um, it was one of those little coaching moments that that just works for the player and it, it's nice that it's nice that that moment gave him something that becomes a point of reference that he refers back to all the time not not because it was me involved but we know that Jimmy is is a great individual coach of his own skills and his own development um, and he uses all those little bits of information he's gleaned over the years and uh, and puts it together in the very effective package that we see it must give you amazing pleasure to see what he's achieved. Uh, it does, and not just because of my involvement with him as a as a developing young bowler, but he's a product of of our leagues. It's it's what we've always wanted to be about at Langs, um, getting cricketers through our competitive league structure. Um, he's not a public school boy. Um, played at Burnley Cricket Club. Was a late developer. Again, something else that I, I quite like. Somebody who's not quite got in all the representative teams as a youngster. He's come through a little bit bit later, nudged them out of the way, and got in your county first team and gone on and played international cricket. And, and actually, although I, I know you don't, you don't obviously like to, to claim any credit, I suppose one of the things that might have given you pleasure is the fact that you were a swing bowler yourself. And there's something rather special and beautiful about the art of swing, really. Yeah, there is. Depending on who coaches it, will they will they'll have a different take on things. You know, Peter Martin was a great swinger of the ball. He was very much about feel, feel of the ball in his fingers. Other people will be they'll be quickly having a look at the the video footage and and getting um, clips of their action to, to check things are right. Um, I suppose I'm, I'm a little bit old school in that um, yeah, I tried to swing it when I was younger. Um, again, product of league cricket, wily old professionals giving you little tips on how to swing the ball. Um, and it's, it's nice that those principles from years gone by are still reaping rewards now in modern-day cricketers. So what is the, the little skill of using the pads on your first and second fingers. Jimmy is a group of a group of bowlers who from time to time would get past the vertical with the, the bowling arm and the release. And if that particular type of bowler uses the index finger as a feel on the ball and try and keep the index finger as the last point of contact on the ball, then it sends a message to the brain that if I keep bowling with the same action I've got, I'm going to bowl this ball to third slip or gully. So I better get a little bit more upright. So I get a bit more upright. Um, I'm a little bit more at target. I've got my hand behind the, little, behind the ball a little bit more. You get that perfect backward rotation with your seam tip towards first slip. And instead of um, overextending, you're now bowling at 12 o'clock. And, and getting the, the seam coming down in the right position. Not quite as, as simple as that, obviously, but that's that's the concept that I've used with a few bowlers. I don't think I'm on my own with using it. 
Um, it's not uh, it's not me rewriting the coaching book. I think it's just interpretation and and having something with works that works with the particular bowler that you're dealing with. I think what has what has helped Jimmy's great success is that particularly in his early days, if you looked at his action as a batsman, your brain said in. His action suggests he's going to push the ball into you. But because he got he had such great control of the outswinger and still has, your brain stays in, but the ball will angle in then swing away and create that deception for you. So leaving the ball isn't as easy. Fiddling around on the off stump, you start playing at balls that perhaps you shouldn't be playing at, just because he, he creates this this little different picture than you get if you're facing a bowling machine. Well, Mike Watkinson there, and actually he, he said that this is a, a world exclusive because he said he gets lots of calls from Indian journalists, well, journalists all over the world, I think, uh, trying to get to the bottom of what he taught Jimmy and he just puts the phone down on them. So uh, luckily he, he, he accepted my call. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it? And you know, That whole thing about uh, the angle that he bowls at. So his arm is, is what he's kind of really saying is that his arm sometimes gets slightly beyond the vertical to sort of between 11 and 12 o'clock. And that creates the impression, actually a bit like Ben Stokes, who's even more mm. accentuated in that sense. It, it creates the impression of the ball angling in, but his, such is his brilliant fingertip control that he manages to still coax the ball to swing away while making it look as if it's coming in. Well, we're going to miss him when he's gone. Uh, when's that going to be? Do we think? Is, is he going to be? Is he going to be in? Is he going to be in Australia? I mean, I, I mean yeah. Why not? I mean, he says that he's still loving it, and mm. his, his role as a senior bowler is a to take wickets and and b to help the younger bowlers learn. And you know, what better place to to help them learn than to be on the field with him? Uh, so as long as he can stay fit, and he's still bowling that eighty-four miles an hour. I, I mean, you made the point that. He hasn't taken second innings wickets too much recently, but he's two still... second innings wickets this summer, Yoz. Two mm. second innings wickets, mm. but he's still, you know, venomous with that new ball. Um, and I can I can still see him that bowling at that speed, eighty four ish miles an hour. I can still see him taking wickets in in Australia. Maybe not in the UAE, perhaps, but if England play there against India, but. Uh, undoubtedly in Australia. So, um, you know, maybe the story will continue. We should just, uh, uh, you know, finish really by saying on the Anderson uh, story, we should just finish by saying that, of course, he's achieved that 600 without uh, a crowd. There's nobody in the ground. So no applause apart from his teammates. So let's just give him a little bit of a (laughs) bit. Let's give him a round of applause. And uh, I hope Jimmy uh, enjoys that and enjoys the um, the spoils of his success tonight. And for me, Simon, he is, with what he's achieved, he is one of the greatest sportsmen this country's ever produced. We don't talk about great sportsmen, do we, until they've retired. But for, without any doubt, he is one of the greatest sportsmen we've ever produced in this country. Would you agree? Yeah, uh, it's 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 hard to it's hard to disagree. I mean, it's, it's that Alistair Cook thing again as well, isn't it? That we've we've talked about before. You know, what was his great achievement? I remember asking him this. You know, 
being on the field for that many test matches, it is a huge physical effort to keep on going, to bowl those 33,000-plus balls, to be on the field for 17 years, to have that drive and determination and skill, to, you know, on, on a, a sort of rainy day in in Southampton when you're 38, to come up with a fine delivery to get rid of a, a very good batsman and take your 600th test match wicket. Okay, well, that's the end of us eulogising about Jimmy Anderson for the moment, anyway, until he (laughs) achieves something else. Now we should just look ahead to the next few months with this England side. And, you know, where are they? They've won three series in a row, which is, you know, a a turn-up, really, after a fairly disappointing 12 months before, really. So you feel like they're they're on an upward curve, batting-wise... They've sort of decided that, you know, occupation of the crease, building up first inning scores is the way to go. It's not rocket science, really, but the, the message, the pennies dropped, the, the message has sunk in. And that seems to be working. That's, so that's at least one step forward. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that they won three series that you really would expect them to win. I mean, if they didn't win them, then you, you'd ask questions, wouldn't you, really? I mean, South Africa away, they were big favourites to go there. South Africa were a, a bit of a rabble. Uh, to be honest, England did, you know, they fair play to them. They did come back and, and win the series from, from 1-0 down. West Indies, they did lose the first test against the West Indies as well, but they did well to, to come back and, and beat them. And, and Pakistan, they had that amazing turnaround at Old Trafford, a game they were losing, and then came back to win. Ah, uh, you know, there are bigger tests ahead. I mean, that that's the, the, the clear uh, view for me, really, is that, you know, they've got series against India coming up and Australia, the two best sides in the world. And that, I think, will give us an indication of where this England side is. The next series uh, could well be in Sri Lanka, a couple of test matches, and then they play against India, hopefully, if, if COVID and everything allows. And that that will be fascinating to me because that is where they, you know, they've been tested uh, they really were tested last time in India. They were thrashed. You know, England, England actually got quite a lot of runs, but India got loads more. So their bowling was really found wanting in Indian conditions. And, you know, the, the spin area is, is a big problem for them. I, I, you know, top of the order uh, against really top-class bowling. Uh, Burns has had a lean time of it of late. Sibley's making decent progress. Uh, but, you know, is, is that absolutely set in stone? That's what Sibley-Burns partnership you know that the, the, the encouraging aspects of i suppose things like um jack crawley in this test match ollie pope at times this summer and then of course there's you know there's stokes and then there's root and there's butler who's done really well as well so you know there there are there are some encouraging signs um i, I wonder what we'll be saying sort of sitting here in a year's time though mm. Well, one thing we might be saying is that uh, still there's a little bit of a worry on the spin department. Um, I just thought one little uh, sort of indication today or uh, sort of pointer today was, you know, Don Bess bowled pretty well and he's, you know, he's young. We we don't want to be too critical of him actually because he's he's young, he's inexperienced. But um, one of the things he doesn't really do at the moment is get enough drift away from the right-hander to draw them away from their body and try and sort of bowl them through the gate. He's He tends to bowl just a bit too straight at the moment. And there was just a little sign today. Joe Root uh, bowled, you know, just a couple of overs towards the end and he got one to bowl in exactly the right spot that Bess could have done just pitching a little bit wide outside off with a bit of drift. He's got a slightly more round arm 
off spinner's action, which is a bit better. And he got that drift away and then a little bit of spin and bounce back and got the, the wicket of Azam, uh, Azam Shafiq. Uh, so, you know, it was that was how you should bowl. That's how an off spinner needs to bowl. Mm. So it was a little kind of steer for, for Dom Best there, but I'm sure he'll get better. And he's undoubtedly keen to learn the, the lessons and, and, and really wants to work hard on everything. Um, let's just get a, a comment on England's progress from uh, a man who, who watches the game very closely, has covered hundreds of test matches and, of course, played in over 100 as well. Uh, David Gower who's been uh, hosting with me this little show we've been doing in the evenings uh, before play ends. And so I asked him where he thought England were after this six-test summer. I think it's been a good summer for them. And again, I make the point that we're really grateful that uh, the efforts of all concerned actually got Test cricket onto the field six times in the last two, three months. That's been brilliant. Um, and I think if you look back, I mean, they were, I was actually, I was actually applauding the West Indies when they won that first test match because so much had hinged on them even being in the country in the first place. So I thought they almost deserved to do that almost by default. But that was a bit of a wake-up call. Um, I mean, overall, England will be happy with the progress they've made this summer. They were happy with what they did in South Africa uh, at the start of the year, albeit losing that first test match as their wake-up call, almost traditional wake-up call until this series against Pakistan. Basically, pitch up the first test match, lose it, then get better again. Um, they are a good side. Uh, things like the Zach Crawley double hundred are a real big tick. Uh, I mean, that sort of thing is... Um, obviously, for the individual, for Crawley himself, it's magic. Uh, for England to know they have a man who has that sort of capacity to make big runs, uh, they now know they can continue to invest in him for his future and the team's future. Um, Ollie Pope's had a, you know, a goodish time this summer, but not quite as good as I think as he was in South Africa. Uh, but he's one who I will look forward to seeing play all over the world over the next few years. Um, there are one or two question marks. There are always question marks. They've got to decide what to do with the bowling attack. Um, you know, basically at the start of the summer against the West Indies in that first test match at the same ground as GS Bowl, they probably made an error in the way they picked the team, uh, made an error in the way they thought about that team. And in the end, it's been, you know, the two best bowlers, Broad and Anderson, have done the bulk of the work and taken the bulk of the wickets. But they can't rely on that forever, as we well know. Um, the winter is going to be very different. Um, you know, we've got to speculate where the winter might take place, as it were, because although India have promised to host England uh, for all sorts of things, test matches, uh, ODIs, T20s, um, it's unclear where that will actually be able to take place where it's feasible to play those games and I would hazard a guess that it's unlikely actually to be India knowing what's going on there at the moment with COVID uh, knowing that there is no opportunity to put a biosecure environment into place as far as I'm aware in India I might be wrong but I don't think they've got facilities at their big grounds in order to do that and it still looks to me very much as though that might be necessary if they're going to actually get cricket underway there. Who knows? I mean, we've got a six months or so before, five or six months before that might be due. But even so, uh, that time can disappear very, very quickly. So England will have a different sort of winter again, that's for sure. Uh, we know, for instance, if they have to play in the UAE again, where they've played against Pakistan in previous winters, uh, well, they've not always done so well there. So that's a, a big challenge for them and a big challenge for the likes of Sibley, Crawley, Burns, all these guys who are still at the front end of a test career. 
Um, and then if you want to be number one in the world, I mean, having watched The Edge the other day for the first time, which is outstanding as a movie, outstanding as a way of looking into the minds or being able to look into the minds of the best players in the country, um, there are stern tests still to come. I mean, for instance, just, you know, just going back to Crawley, I would say that he's now going to be uh, looking ahead with confidence, whatever comes next, but he'll have lessons to learn. UAE will be very different. Australia in, well, what is it, 14, 15 months' time. Um, you know, it's always a big test against a side that are so good at home and will still have three stroke, four very good fast bowlers in their armory. So then this is the great thing about building a test career. Um, you can enjoy the moment. And I'm just watching uh, Zach Crawley as he steps into the limelight. Uh, with the post-match uh, celebrations and presentations. So he's stepped into the limelight again with that England cap gleaming in the artificial light provided by Sky, with a smile on his face, as well he might. Uh, and he'll be questioned as to, you know, now looking back, what he realises or how important he thinks his innings was. So he's got so much to look forward to. England, I mean, I think they probably deserve to be you know, second or third in the world as we speak. Joe mm. Root, captain, three series one in a row, which is, mm. you know, decent. Not that many runs uh, from him. Uh, not, nothing sort of terrible, but but nothing uh, brilliant either. Uh, so, you know, where where is he, do you think, in terms of his captaincy status and his batting and, and how much do you think it's affecting him? Well, I don't necessarily buy the argument that captaincy is responsible for the downturn in his batting. Um, I think he is a strong enough character to cope with both. Um, I know from personal experience that when things are going badly as a captain, of course it affects your ability as a batsman. Um, but actually, yeah, there's no hard and fast rule about that. Um, and if you get out in the middle, you get in, you get yourself set, actually getting runs and staying at the crease is one very good way of putting aside any captaincy worries or team worries. And I think once any batsman gets in, you know, gets set, um, you know, everything just sort of should click into place. Um, so, I mean, you can, you know, there are always ways of making runs, even in adversity. So I think, I think he does have to look at himself a little bit. Maybe te I don't know. It's, it's, maybe this is one of those little sort of minor technical things that might just make a difference, which um, we'll see him back on track. But you know, they were saying that a winter ago when he got a double hundred in New Zealand, and apparently all was well after that. But yeah, you know, if you get a good pitch and it's your day, you can make a double hundred. Um, if you play on some of these pitches we've seen over the last couple of months, two or three months, in these two series against West Indies and Pakistan. There are going to be deliveries they're going to be testing and you are going to be found out at some stage whether it's your fault or not. So that is that is again, that is one of my phrases. That is the nature of the game. I think Joe has the capacity to make an awful lot of runs yet in test match cricket. Um, and I think he has the capacity to make some of those runs as England captain. You don't expect him to be England captain forever. There will come a time when he feels that it's time for someone else to take over if you know, if he gets that luxury. And someone else will put their stamp on the job. Um, and you see that virtually everywhere. I mean, even, even sort of our, of the more recent times, better captains, people like Michael Atherton, you eventually it wears you down. Nasser Hussain, it wears you down. Michael Vaughan, it wears you down. The only, people, the only person I know who's 
managed to do more than five years in the last 20 years is Graham Smith in South Africa, who got the job when he was about three. You know, he's 21 years old when he got the job in South Africa. It was an extraordinary pick and he did the job for a decade, which is, trust me, that is an ex- exceptional feat. Well, that's the former England captain, David Gower, talking about the, the present captain, Joe Root. I think we should just finish off, Yoz. Where do you think England are at the moment? You know, they, they clearly do have some big challenges to come. India away, India home, Australia away. Those, those are the real challenges coming up for them. They have played three series that you probably would expect them to win. Uh, where, where do you where do you think they are? Do you, do you think that they're an improving side, but have still got flaws, or do you, are you are you more optimistic than that? Yeah, I think actually they're in third spot in the ICC Test rankings at the moment, the Test Championship, uh, just behind Australia, four points behind Australia, and about sixty points behind India. I think that's fair enough. I think Australia and India are quite close. And I think England are third, definitely. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a bit worried about that opening pair still. I know they've made some runs. Uh, you know, Rory Burns has had a bit of a lean patch recently and has found wanting a little bit technically. Uh, Dom Sibney has a sort of his own idiosyncratic technique, which has worked. But I think certainly in Australia, it's going to get found out. He needs to, against spin, be able to rotate the strike better. You know, he's a work in progress. He's much younger than Burns. Burns is more of a finished article. So, you know, I'm, I'm not, they're not the total answer for me, but they've certainly made good strides this summer. I do like the look of Zach Crawley. I think he's, a, he's an excellent player. And Crawley to open, do you think? Well, or does, or does that cause moment. another problem? No, not at the moment, no. I, I think he's, he's, he's better at number three. And he, he's, he's, actually, he's a bit like Chris Tavare, isn't he? Very sort of statuesque sort of player with, with shots. I mean, Tavare actually everyone, everyone thought was a blocker. But in fact, he was quite a, a flair. He had plenty of panache as a batsman, but didn't necessarily always show it at test level. You know, he's going to be a good player, Zach Crawley. Um, and then you've got the engine room, uh, Root... Stokes, Butler, Pope, in in whatever order, Pope at six, Butler at seven. I mean, that's pretty good. And Butler's definitely made strides this summer. Uh, Mm. He's 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 now a a rounded test batsman, I think, and able to play in in different modes. So it's then a question of what bowlers they pick. Um, Best needs a bit more improvement, but he's not bad. Uh, And and then Archer needs to just find his, his mojo in the team. And then, you know, Broad Anderson. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty good bowling attack with the bit of a weakness in the spin department. I want a, one guy who's going to bowl quick. So I want a Wood or an Archer who's going to really crank it up over 90 miles an hour. And then, you know, you can fit in your Broad and your Anderson and your Wokes around that with, with a spinner. So, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they've improved this summer, but I still think they're probably third best in the world. Yeah, and there's another name as well. I'll just throw in someone I've sort of just you know, watched from a distance, really, uh, of late a little bit this summer and uh, and last summer as well. And that's Ollie Robinson of of Sussex. I wonder when he is going to get his chance at Test level. I think it's going to happen. Um, I'm interested to see what sort of impact he makes on uh, the England's seam bowling uh, setup in the future. But yeah, so. Well, it's been great that we've had cricket. I mean, that's that's the, the, the been the bottom line of, of all of this, I suppose. Uh, you made the point that it was it was disappointing that there was no crowd to see Jimmy Anderson take his six hundred wicket, and I would echo that. And I think that that's 
you know, being the sad aspect of the summer. But West Indies came, Pakistan came. Extremely grateful to to both of them for for making the effort and being in that bio bubble, which you know, which was you know, it is sort of quite draining. And I think the England players probably felt it as well. But we we somehow somehow got to the end of six Test matches in about whatever it was seven weeks. Uh, who who would have thought that about three months ago? Yeah, and it's laid a, a good blueprint down for other countries to stage Test matches as well in this unreal new normal and hopefully they'll take that lead uh, more cricket of course to come uh, this summer with the t20 blast the vitality blast starting uh, on friday and, uh, and we'll certainly be covering uh, little bits of that uh, in due course we'll be back to look ahead to the australia series as well which is coming up uh, after the pakistan t20s and odis which are coming up at the end of this week so loads more cricket this summer and of course the uh, the conclusion of the bob willis trophy as well so lots of interesting stuff to cover we'll be back very shortly to give you some more feedback on our brilliant game the world of cricket thanks for listening in the meantime and don't forget to connect to www.thecricketer.com there's lots of brilliant stuff on that website in the meantime thanks for listening and speak to you soon Podcast Network.